VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. Host, I am here. Uh, you're listening to Waking Up in America, a radio magazine. So come be a fly on the wall with us and listen to the most intriguing conversations in radio. We've got a team of radio experts here today. Uh, our special guest once a month is Patty Cota Robles. She'll be talking about what's happening in the universe and the eclipses and things that are coming up. We have J.J. Virgin, who tells it like it is. She's the nutrition for Superman, and she's going to be talking about nutrition in Maui and also the spiritual side of Maui. Sheree Ross will tell you how to incorporate the essential oils into your daily life. And Lisa Molson, she's turning, she's going to tip, give you tips for turning your family green. Debbie... Ring Chop, our doctor for money, is on special assignment. And Will Rogers is going to give us a taste of green as well. My segment is Editor's Comments. We're going to bring you some very interesting and exciting guests in the future. We've been doing that right now today. We have Adani Dittmar. Ah, boy, that wouldn't have happened without Gail Owen. Called Dancing in the No-Fly Zone, A Woman's Journey Through Iraq, and we'll be talking more about that later. Our guest list includes all fields, from Olympic champion Mark known nutritionist Marcella Von Harding, to the amazing Broadway legend Carol Channing. Each offer a unique point of view and ideals that they live by. Elegantly understated Bob Costa of the Home Shopping Network says we're doing radio which will change the world, and all I can say is not without you guys. We won't be able to do that. Join us in making that true. So... As each one of us turns our personal worlds green with money, kindness, and healthy living, the world does change for the better. And TAG, you're it, which is the acronym for Turn America Green. And that's what we're here all about on Waking Up in America. That beep you've been hearing on the line, I actually chose to talk to you. It was Mike Farrell calling, and I'm going to find out what he was up to after the show. But Mike is definitely a part of the green team, and he's been a friend of Dennis Weaver's for years, and he's all about things about life, and he's all about making things a, a better world. If you happen to hear a dog barking, a telephone ringing, an angel singing, the wail of a fire engine, or a child laughing, hey, what can I tell you? Well, sometimes the only communications we have with our guests or editors or cell phones, and most of us call in from our homes and offices all over the United States to cause this program. So there you go. Tell a friend that we're right here, right here on your computer live today. If they can't catch us live right now, you can catch us 12 hours later by going to voiceamerica.com. You can also go to our website at wakingupinamerica.com and you'll find where we're played at different stations. And if you're in one of those areas, you can tune in there. And if you come in and sign up as a subscriber, we'll be happy to send you, if you request it, an MP3 file of the previous day's show. So you can have our little shows in your library. This morning we are talking about putting ourselves into the iPod system, so I think you'll find all of that wonderful and accessible. Our website is wakingupinamerica.com. We're actually putting a map of our listeners uh, on, the, on the website, and we'll be doing that shortly, and we need to get your email and also the location that you're, that you're writing in from. So right now we've gotten Ireland, India, Australia, and Portugal have registered. So 
Join us. Let us know where you're listening to us. It always amazes me to find out that somebody in Australia has had to tune in. I think it's eight hours later, but I'm not sure. Keep a paper and pen handy as there will be names and ideas that you will want to jot down. And um, you want to email me during the show, you can do that, and I will pass it on. I will ask the editors to uh, tell them what the message is, and they'll answer you. Today we've got a combination of a taped interview that Gail Ellen did with um, Hadani, and she'll and Hadani will actually be able to join us on the show, so that's going to be fun too. Keep a paper and pen handy as there will be names and numbers that you will want to jot down. Um, check out our web, web editors at the website, and remember, if you miss something, you can always, always call us at toll-free, 866-RADIO-99. Once again, toll-free, 866-RADIO-99. Leave your name and number, and I'll forward it to the appropriate person. Gail, when you called me about Hadani, uh, that was not a name that I recognized, but you have an incredible nose for excellence, and I was wondering how you came across Hadani and what made you know that you had to do that interview with her. Well, Hadani Dittmars is uh, an outstanding Canadian journalist, and she was brought to my attention, actually, by uh, my daughter-in-law, who is a uh, author. And uh, her name is Hannah, and she had gone to a... Um, a a bookstore where Hadani Dittmars was giving a presentation on her book, and she was so taken by her as a journalist and so taken by her book that she called me immediately and said that she felt this is someone that we should know about. And uh, I'm so glad that we were able to uh, finally get the connection and, and get Hadani on the air because she was uh, a woman who um, brings an amazing, unique perspective on Iraq because she reported there both before and after the U.S. invasion. Oh, that's amazing. And when you take a look at her book, folks, she's actually published by Olive Branch Press, which in itself touches me. This woman is a very visually beautiful woman to look at, and she's also... um, I think after I listened to the interview, after Gail recorded it, I said something like, what a beautiful, intelligent person, something like that. And I hope that you have that same experience. And we're going to play the interview right now, and then we we hope that Hadani will be able to join us for a few questions at the interview. So it's time for the interview, please. Today we're with Hadani Dittmars, an international journalist based in Canada and the author of the bestseller Dancing in the No-Fly Zone, a Woman's Journey Through Iraq. Hadani, I wanted to welcome you, and I'd like to share your book with our audience, a book that provides a very unique perspective of a very troubled nation, um, both before and after the U.S. invasion, and I wanted to thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me on. You're a a very uh, uh, passionate and informed speaker, and uh, I think your journalism career first took you to Iraq in 1997. Is that not not true? Yes. I first went to Iraq uh, actually on assignment for the New York Times in 1997, and at the time, uh, the news story of the day was the weapons inspectors versus Saddam, the sort of cat and mouse game, if you can remember back to that time in 97 uh, when there was talk about 
opening up the palaces for weapons inspections and that kind of thing. Um, that sort of official story was interesting for a couple of days, and soon it became clear that it, it, it was it was a very difficult kind of story to report from Iraq uh, for, for various reasons having to do with being in a police state and access to information. But in, in any case, um, one day I just went sort of on a walkabout with this young minder from the Ministry of Information who turned out to be a cousin of Tarek Aziz, a young Christian fellow who was a student of English literature. And we went walking through the markets on a Friday and we had this whole discussion about Najib Mahfouz and Samuel Beckett. And, and we were walking through uh, the Friday market and I was talking to women selling cardamom and going through neighborhoods with these beautiful kind of wrecked villas and talking about Iraqi poetry. And it sort of suddenly hit me that, um, you know, the, the, the humanity and the culture of the place uh, was so much deeper and more interesting than the sort of surface news stories and, and, and dispatches that I was sending out that I realized at that moment that I, I really had to write a book about Iraq, about this, you know, ancient place that was, you know, obviously having some very, very difficult times, uh, but at the same time had this wonderful, I mean, the people had this wonderful strength of character and resilience and very sort of deep humanity and, and, and rich culture. So, so that sort of became the hook for me every time I went back there. It was sort of tolerable to be in this very difficult place uh, at the height of sanctions in Saddam uh, be, because of, of, of the, the people and, and the culture and what I found right. there. Right. I, I found your text to be uh, a, a real reference on human cur courage and normalcy in the face of utter chaos. And I think one of the poignant questions seemed to, that seemed to run throughout the book was, how can human beings by fault or design engineer such misery for others? Right. Well, the Iraqi people are certainly long-suffering, and, and, and there's certainly been many people who've claimed to speak on their behalf or in their best interests, ranging from Saddam to Bush to Zarqawi to uh, various other militia leaders. But, you know, the fact remains is that Iraq was a very wealthy, educated, secular, middle-class nation where women had a very high status, where there was a very high literacy rate, and it's come close now uh, in, you know, a decade or so to, to being sort of a, a failed, failed state. Yeah. And the, the tragedy of that is, 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 you know, on so many levels. Um, but, of course, you know, we're looking at a, at a country that went through an eight-year war with, war with Iran, which wiped out an entire generation left women without husbands and children without fathers, bankrupted the country. Then we're looking at the invasion of Kuwait and the ensuing Gulf War, which, of course, violated uh, many Geneva Conventions in terms of the, the bombing, the deliberate targeting by, by U.S. warplanes of mm -hmm. water treatment facilities and sanitation facilities, similar to what's going on now in Lebanon. Um, and, of course, during the 12 years of the sanctions regime, there was never uh, really a mandate for complete reconstruction of that infrastructure that had been damaged. So it was just stopgap measures, sort of sticking your finger in the dike, if you will. Uh, so really, you know, thousands of, of children and elderly people and the most vulnerable members of society, you know, essentially died of waterborne diseases uh, yes. because yes. there was really no way to rebuild the, 
facilities. Uh, so uh, the, the damage that's been done to the physical infrastructure, of course, has been well documented, not just in terms of sanctions, but the and then ensuing invasion and continuing violent uh, occupation and insurgency. But my my concern is also really about the the deeper kind of damage that's been done to the culture and society. Right. And uh, how how like do you undo that? Yes. And well, it seems like it's uh, sort of the death of a culture and uh, mm-hmm. a failed state. And I'm sure this is not the Iraq that you knew way back in those well, early years. There was such a lively uh, arts and culture scene, even at the height of what I call the twin tyrannies of sanctions and Saddam, when you know the theater was booming. Even sometimes when plays would have to go on by candlelight, you know people would go to the theater every night, and the theater really pushed the political envelope, similar to what happened in say, Czechoslovakia or in the Eastern Bloc prior to the fall of the Soviet Union. It was the place where you could critique the regime to a certain degree, at least through double meaning, etc. There was a visual arts scene. There was a, a symphony orchestra in, in Baghdad. Um, you know, now all my artist friends and all my playwright friends virtually have, have left the country because of this terrible marriage of criminal anarchy and, and de facto theocracy. I mean, the right. fact is, is that the U.S. made deals with mullahs. Sharia law has been uh, enshrined in the constitution of a country that at one point had the most liberal family law in the Arab world. So women have been sold down the river. Um, this, this new Iraq is... I think we all we all know what a mess it's in, and, and unfortunately, um, even you know the United Nations report from six months ago says that infant mortality rates and um, violent crime and infant malnutrition, child malnutrition rates and illiteracy rates, everything has skyrocketed since the invasion. So Iraqi people who've been just trying to cope and survive on a daily basis through war and despotism and sanctions have not actually seen their lives improve. They've seen them didn't get worse, and on top of that, this culture that survived invasions by Mongols and the burning of libraries and right. historically right. all the, and, yeah. the, the, well, the pillaging of the city uh, has not survived the, the really the recent round of, of violence. I see that. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to thank you for your very comprehensive look at, at the war today, and I know that you've got... Um, a documentary coming up and working on your next book on uh, Israel and Palestine. And uh, we look forward to your new publications, and uh, I hope you'll join us again. Thank you very much, Hadani Dibmars. Thank you. always challenging to hear the sound of your own voice, but, you know, sadly, I feel like I've been saying the same thing for the last eight years. It's, it's not rocket science. If you want to create a peaceful, democratic society, uh, I don't think it's best to do it through military invasion and occupation. I think building up civil society is, you know, public health and education and supporting women and children and institutions that support them is the way to do it, um, here and abroad, you know, but uh, I guess that's subversive to some people. Not quite. Not, uh, if you, I was at the John Dean uh, Gore Vidal conversation last night, and um, Republicans and Democrats are looking more and more alike as this thing continues. And mm-hmm. one of the things that um, Mr. Dean said last night was the fact that um, Republicans have been abandoning their party, and they don't have any place to go. So they've been ending up as independent. Mm-hmm. So this whole conversation about who's a Republican and who's a Democrat may be 
who's tied to the companies and who isn't, mm-hmm. Democrat mm-hmm. or Republican, because there's certainly been enough Democratic scandal going on, too. So I think um, it's very illusionary, what we call our Congress and Senate at this point. Well, there's a lot of good people there. I think there's worms in the woodwork, you know? Well, you know, there have been so many books about Iraq that have been written by American journalists that are mainly about uh, American foreign policy and internal debate and um, uh, debate between the State Department and the Pentagon. And, you know, my book is very much about Iraqis and their culture and their society and the effect of uh, 20 years of war and sanctions and despotism on Iraqis. So I I think that uh, that's subversive in itself because just to have the Iraqi narrative is already kind of a new thing, you know, to, to break out of the sort of the arrogance of the debate, if you know what I mean, and actually present um, Iraqi perspectives is, is, is half the battle. Now, you say in your book, I'm a journalist from Canada and a Muslim. At what age did you become Muslim? Well, actually, people always ask me about my, my background is very mixed race and mixed faith. Uh, I have a Christian and Muslim uh, background, and I was raised with both traditions, and in fact, in a very liberal, secular um, a ecumenical kind of household. So uh, that just allows me when I'm in um, the Muslim world, because I know how to do the Muslim prayers, and I know how to fast for Ramadan, and I culture and just the, the, the Muslim uh, protocols, um, that allows me to, to join in with the women at prayer. Of course, my Christian also allows me to go and take Mass with uh, with the Christians when I'm in a place like Iraq, which I did. And, of course, I have a whole chapter on Iraqi Christians in the book. Uh, there were about um, a million Christians in Iraq at one point, but now their numbers are dwindling because, you know, one of the great ironies of, one of the many ironies of this whole invasion and occupation is that the so-called born-again Christian president's invasion has made Iraq much more dangerous for Christians and other religious minorities. And we have a situation now where these uh, these Christians in Iraq who have ties to ancient Babylon, like they're that connected to the, 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 the place and the history of the place, are having their churches firebombed. Uh, we have a number of team members here, Hadani. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gail, you heard the interview too now, and as hearing it in retrospect and having a beat today, and <clears throat> I think that was taped about what? three or four weeks ago. Right. Do you have any reflections you'd like to add on that before we open it up to the team? Well, I just wanted to just thank Hadani again for coming on with us today. And one of the things, just quickly, I wanted to ask her about was uh, her Garden of Peace project mm. uh, that she talked about. And um, that was sort of on the wish list of of some of the younger people there that they wanted green space for gardening, which I thought was a beautiful thing. Well, actually, um, there have been several experiments with uh, sort of community garden projects in the developing world uh, based around needs of women and children. And and I was interested in applying that to a kind of really a a war zone or what I thought might be a post-war zone setting in an urban environment, uh, and I was exploring that possibility when I went back in uh, August of 2003, post-invasion, uh, specifically because there were so many displaced people from the invasion and occupation, and some of them were women who had been, you know, rural, and also preceding that, you know, for 20 years, like in many places, there had been a mass rural migration to the city. So uh, I thought I would apply this idea to Baghdad, and I found a lot of interested 
people and as local sponsor. And um, if you read the book, you'll see that there's this whole series of meetings I have, and we even have a concert at the at the very end of my stay in Baghdad with the children's choir and the cellist from the Baghdad Philharmonic. And I end up singing uh, Gounod's Ave Maria with a cellist. And it's all very nice, but the next day the Turkish embassy blows up across the street. So, you know, I, I really realized quite quickly that if I wanted to do that kind of aid project, uh, first of all, I'd have to be working with the occupying powers directly and that that would completely compromise the security of the participants in the project, and I would have to spend about 90% of my budget on security. So this, this is and was uh, the, the sort of aid conundrum in Baghdad, is how do, you, how do you work in a militarized area that's so dangerous? You know, how do you so so the Red Cross and the Red Crescent I know have continued to do what they can, but it's it's very tricky. Now I hear that. Lisa Molson, do you have a question you'd like to ask Adani? Yes, hi, it's Lisa Molson from Family Matters. Great to have you on our show. Uh, my question is is what do you want to accomplish through your work and what's the biggest impact you've been able to make through your reporting? Um, well, you know, I was commissioned to write this book by a publisher. I'd, I'd been reporting from Iraq since 1997. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional journalist. That's what I do. <laughs> That's how I make my living. Um, but I do have, I guess, a sense of, but I don't want to be too precious about it because, you know, in the end, being a reporter is like being anything else. You do what you have to do and you do the best job you can and you try and bring as much humanity and soul and, uh, and, and high standards to, to what you do as possible. Um, so, you know, everyone has their role to play. Um, I guess my goal is really to communicate, uh, and, and not, not a, just my goal, but I guess what, in fact, I've been doing for the, the better part of two decades is trying to communicate uh, often, but not exclusively, Middle Eastern realities to a Western audience, uh, because so much literally gets lost in translation, and there's just so much ignorance, there's so much fear, there's just an incredibly skewed perspective um, on both sides, of course, but I, I, would, I would say that um, the, ba- the, the, the imbalance is tilted now towards the West and that, it's, that we, really, we really need to find out more uh, about these cultures and peoples and countries uh, that, uh, that we're invading, but also that we share the, 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 the planet with. Um, so I hope that in whatever small way uh, my book, for instance, Dancing in the No-Fly Zone, can communicate the, uh, the wonderful culture and society and humanity that I encountered in Iraq, as well as the, the huge uh, suffering um, visited upon a, often a captive uh, civilian population that have, you know, just, are just trying to survive and, and who are men and women and children with, with families just like ours. Great. Uh, we have time for one more question. Cherie, do you have a hot one? Well, I don't know if it's a hot one, but it's definitely a good one. Um, in, uh, in, in the U.S. here, there was a number of people interviewed on the major television, you know, nightly news shows uh, nationally, of women and girls who were physically violated in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, could you speak to that at all? Uh, sorry, um, well... Um, I don't, I'm not sure if I entirely understand what the question is, but you know, I know that um, Yanar Mohammed, who is uh, an Iraqi Canadian lawyer and human rights activist and women's rights activist, women's rights activist, um, had really very meticulously documented this horrific rise 
in violent crime and assault um, against women, uh, rape, abduction, sexual abuse, uh, that had risen dramatically since the invasion, um, mainly because of the total breakdown in law and order. So, uh, sadly, uh, you know, violent crime has increased exponentially since the invasion, and this, of course, was documented in the, in the recent UN report, or the relatively recent UN report that I cited in the, in the taped interview. So, um, violence against women, of course, goes hand in hand with things like economic collapse and the breakdown of civil society and uh, the rise of Islamic fundamentalism. But more than that, when you're in a militarized zone, um, I've never really, I can't say that in my career as a, as a war correspondent, I've ever been in a militarized zone uh, where, you know, that was good for women, where, where the status of women was, uh, was raised or was heightened. You know, it's always usually uh, a very macho, very violent, very kind of male adolescent, adrenaline, uh, gun-toting kind of environment. Um, and I experienced the decline of the status in women to a certain degree in Iraq from the time I first went there in 1997 until my, my post-invasion trip because I'm a woman and I, you know, I, I experienced a difference just in the way I was treated and the, in the, the, the safety and security issues. So, um, and I, you know, I was a foreigner who had... Uh, Although I passed for an Iraqi, I had an escape route, and I had certain things that weren't available to, to average Iraqi women. We have one minute left here, so let's tell people how to get your book. Um, is it available at Amazon? Yes, you can get it on Amazon.com and Barnes and & Noble and you know bookstores near you. Um, I know that I signed a few copies at Dutton's in L.A. when I was there uh, reading for the Progressive Democrats in, in uh, June, and... Uh, if it's not at your local bookstore, ask for it, and uh, they'll order it for you. It's, you with, um, it's, it's with Interlink Books in the U.S. They're my U.S. publisher, so interlinkbooks.com. And it's a dancing in the no-fly zone subtitled A Woman's Journey Through Iraq. Well, that's very interesting. This is a tagline as we're saying goodbye here. I think one of the reasons there's so much more violence in Iraq besides what is going on is that now that everybody's homes and businesses have been blown up, there's a lot of free male energy roaming around. Probably very angry male energy. So A lot of angry, unemployed young men who've come of age knowing only war and sanctions who are desperate and uh, willing to take up arms with, you know, for on, on, the, on behalf of whoever is paying them. So it's a really simplistic thing because we're really actually over time now. Mm. But if you were to give us one piece of advice, Mm. on improving the situation, what would it be? Oh, God. <laughs> it doesn't, it can, you, we can't cover everything. Anything <laughs> that pops to your mind. You mean besides divine intervention? <laughs> that's a good one. Cause, cause probably, um, it's yeah. very hard to undo the damage that's been done, but, um, you know, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm writing an article on uh, exiled artists, exiled Iraqi artists, and I'm, for the Guardian, and I'm, I'm I'm paying tribute and homage to the spirit of Iraq great. and Iraqi people that that you know needs to be like a beacon in the darkness that needs to be kept alive, even if it is in exile, so that people can have some hope, so that the exiles and the people in Iraq, you know, can at least have a sense that maybe things will get better one day. But certainly, the way things are going, I'm I'm not optimistic. I I got it, and I I invite you to um, stay around for the rest of the program. We'd love to have you. 
<clears throat> and right now I'm letting people know that you can email me at Val at wakingupinamerica.com, and if Fidani is still on the show, we can still ask her a question or any of the other editors. Also, I wanted to tell you who won the drawing for September. Remember, we were giving away a bottle of lemon oil, that magical stuff. Maybe Sheree will give a brief reference to it when we get to her. Kimber Mahan of Carpinteria Avenue in Carpinteria is our lemon oil winner, and we'll be sending that out to you, um, Kimber, and ask your friends to join and uh, let us know what you guys want to hear on Waking Up in America. We're doing the best we can to turn green, and that horrible situation over there in Iraq, um, we're going to have to put our attention, we're going to have to do a lot to have that turn back green again, and yet we have to do that. It's it's, an, it's a necessity. Uh, when when Donnie called for divine intervention, what could I think of? But um, we have Patricia Cota Robles on the show today. So do you feel like you're part of a divine message, Pat? <laughs> well, I think we all are, and I think that that, you know, that isn't, even though that sounds maybe a little far-fetched, it absolutely is not. There is, there really is an awakening taking place within the hearts of humanity. And in spite of the terrible things that we see on the news and going on in Iraq and the Middle East, we need to realize that there are 6 billion people on this planet and there is this shift of consciousness taking place. And our thoughts and feelings are creative. And whether we're talking about the greening of the world or the healing and shifting consciousness, in the Middle East, there is, at a grassroots level, a, a realization that we are all one that is beginning to register in people's hearts and minds. And this knowingness, when we reach a critical mass of this, which is not probably as far away as we can envision when we look at the news, but much closer than we think, this realization that we can't harm any part of life and that all life is precious and that all of our cultures and our races and our nationalities and our religions and our diversities are we're going through the learning experiences that at some level we agreed to go through. And some of them have been mutated and distorted into these violent and abusive situations, which was never the original divine intent of any of the spiritual teachings on this planet. So people are beginning to reconnect. And this is a time that was biblically referred to as the time when all that is hidden must now be revealed. And the things that are coming, as the light increases, it pushes everything that conflicts with that light to the surface. And that's what we're seeing on the planet. And people are observing that. And they are saying this is not acceptable in the overall scheme of things. You know, and even though there is a fraction of humanity holding on to those old obsolete patterns of war and aggression. I, you're cutting out a little bit, Val. I'm sorry. Are you trying to ask a question? <laughs> this is not me doing this. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, I, it's a divine interview. We should probably listen to the message, but I'm just <laughs> sitting here. Okay. But just, you know, and to know that there are literally millions of people on this planet that every single day are striving to be positive, constructive human beings. And there are cycles and waves of energy. For instance, tomorrow is a full moon lunar eclipse. And there are special portals of energy and added assistance that comes from the higher realms of perfection during these special opportunities. Can, can I also add to that? It's a very special Muslim holy night tomorrow night. Wonderful. It's a Nisa Shaban, which is uh, the, uh, the full moon, which is about 15 days before the beginning of the holy month of Ramadan. 
the months prior and to and proceed and following Ramadan are considered to be also holy months on the Islamic calendar. And in many uh, parts of the Islamic world, they have so many different traditions and cultural protocols, but in many parts of the Islamic world, um, tomorrow night is a night when you're supposed to, when Muslims are supposed to uh, keep a, a sort of silent prayer vigil, uh, or not necessarily silent, but sort of be quiet in their homes and pray. And um, one of the terms for the night is the night of destiny, when Muslims are supposed to pray for forgiveness of their sins and ask that burdens be lifted from them and that their destiny change for the better. So this is a a night when um, the angels are supposed to be listening. Well, that is really wonderful. And the thing about these opportunities when millions of people on the planet are focusing on something like this, a celebration, a spiritual celebration, or uh, invoking forgiveness, is that we are all one, and it creates a chalice through which the light of God can flow to accomplish what we are wanting to co-create through our thoughts and feelings. So we can invoke the light of God to flow through this chalice that's being formed and ask that the healing take place and that the oneness of humanity be recognized and understood within the hearts of every evolving soul so that we begin understanding. There's also a tremendous amount of the divine feminine energy flowing in with this full moon, which will help with the healing that you're talking about, Handani. Handani, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting because the Islamic calendar, of course, is the lunar, uh, you know, on the lunar calendar. Yes. So um, many um, historians say that these holy months, like Ramadan, predated Islam. Um, but, of course, you know, Islam, in, uh, according to many uh, historians and uh, theologians, is really a return to the Abrahamic tradition of worship. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all connected. But, that you know, the fact that this, this lunar calendar um, and these months that were considered spiritual months based on the lunar calendar predated Islam, I, I find quite interesting and sort of speaks to the larger message of, you know, shared humanity that, that you're speaking of. Right. And that's... Well, Patty, we're almost out of time right now, but I wanted to quickly ask you, is there a place on the Internet or something of that nature where people can assemble at a particular time so that the force is more aware of the connection? I am not sure if there is or not, but we are absolutely connected in consciousness. So even if we're sitting alone in our room, all we have to do is ask our God selves to connect us with any activity of light that's going on on the planet, and we can weave our energies into that chalice. Is there a particular time or minute or hour that you feel would be the strongest connection? No, I encourage everybody to know that we can be in the eternal moment of now so that whenever something is occurring, I mean, sometimes there are global meditations with a specific time, but for most of them, all we have to do is ask that we be, uh, our light be woven into the activity for the highest good of all concerned and be in that moment of now and transcend time and space. Okay. That's, um, did you want to send people to your website? Yes, they're welcome to go to the website. There's all types of articles and things available there. It's era of peace, E-R-A-O-F-P-E-A-C-E, one word, dot org. And we'd love to have you stay around if you have time. I'd like you actually to meet J.J. Virgin in action. Okay. J.J. is going to tell us today about Maui, both the nutritional aspects of Maui and the spiritual aspects. Take it away, J.J. Thank you. You know, it's it's great that, that I'm followed by the spiritual master here because I, I've always been struck by how spiritual 
Maui is, and, uh, you know, I, I went to this beautiful church service on a Sunday morning, and you're sitting there, and you've got the ocean and uh, the wonderful breezes and the trees and the flowers. It's just incredible, but I've never been there as a nutritionist. And generally when people go away on a vacation, you know, you hear all these horrors about weight gain, et cetera, and I found Maui to be one of the healthiest places both spiritually and uh, physically that you could be. There's so many amazing options because of everything that they grow on those islands. And I think from a spiritual perspective, they're growing these things with so much love and care. Um, but just from a basic nutrition perspective, these things are so amazing from you, for you. You hear me all the time talk to people about eating from the rainbow. And every morning we got up and we had the most amazing, why can't we have this at home pineapple? I mean, it's just like eating incredible candy, rich in bromelain, fantastic source of enzymes, and, of course, papaya, which is rich in fiber and beta-carotene and enzymes as well. And these two plants together are incredible for reducing inflammation and healing. Every meal that we had, we had beets done every which way to Sunday, and I couldn't get enough of them, these beautiful red beets that they grew in a place called, I think, Kula, and beets, of course, we know are great for the liver, great for the kidney, and a great source of potassium. And, and one of my favorite ways we had them was with goat cheese and these incredible Kula greens that I had everywhere. That greens, of course, are a great source of folic acid and potassium. And then these, and they were really incredible. They looked almost black. In fact, when they came on my plate, I, what was that? And I'm always game for trying just about anything, but, you know, these little, they looked like little black lumps of clay. They were not very appetizing, but they were a Molokai sweet potato. And sweet potatoes are fantastic. Another great source of fiber, rich in carotenoids, so great for your skin, great for your eyes, and absolutely delicious. I had an incredible meal at a place called Mama's Fish House. And if you are going to Maui, I booked this months in advance. They actually have their own fishermen there that go out each day, and they bring back the fish, and the, the chefs then think of the best way to prepare these. So we had this fish done in a tea leaf with coconut and lime and Molokai sweet potatoes and bananas, and it was out of this world. I mean, just fabulous. The organic beef there is amazing because, you know, when you treat beef correctly, when you when you take the cows and they're allowed to graze on grass, it changes the fatty acid profile. It's a very healthy food for you when they're not shooting them up with hormones and antibiotics and pesticides. And then, of course, those macadamia nuts, um, which I tried every which way. Had to have the chocolate-covered ones to get my extra antioxidants. And rich in magnesium, rich in copper, you know, there's a great study on macadamia nuts, 10 a day reducing the risk of heart disease. And then finally, that Kona coffee. And coffee, as we know a little bit, too much raises stress hormones, but then I'm in Hawaii. How, how high could my stress hormones go? And, uh, you know, a moderate amount is great antioxidant protection. And, again, when I think of, of using all these great nutritious foods, I also think of all the different ways that you can feed your soul in Maui because there are these amazing sunsets, beautiful. We had a, a dinner in a cabana and watched an incredible sunset heard just great music, and we got to watch the Hawaiian dancing. We went in the ocean. We experienced incredible mineral baths and mud baths and enzyme baths and, of course, had these fabulous massages. The biggest takeaway for all this is how the heck to bring this home because, you know, the first day I got back and I went, wow, I just had seven days of 
the most amazing experiences of my life, and I've lost it in 30 minutes. But since I've gone back, I'm always like, how did I undo a vacation in 30 minutes? But, you know, I think the trick of all of this is that you can take that with you, and you can have a little Maui in your soul all the time. And, and the, the wonderful treasures of Maui not only can nourish your body, but they can nourish your soul. Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm just fooling. <laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. You got me going. A drooling would be, I mean, honestly, I had, and anyone who ever wants to go, I can tell you everywhere we went, because we went on a feeding ecstasy of the healthiest stuff. It, it was it was amazing what we went through, and we went we went to the seven sacred pools. We jumped in there, and we went into the ocean. We went on all these different types of mineral baths, and I felt like for the first time that I ever came from somewhere that I was completely filled up. You know, not I'm filled up, hungry. bloated, but uh, huh? I'm getting hungry. <laughs> you got to stop schedule now, too, because all this drooling is going on. Yeah, we need a, definitely a live remote from um, from Wailea Beach. That's what I, I'd say there. And next time, go check out Kauai, and also check out JJ Virgin on our website. We have a video uh, this week. It is, What is Weight Loss Resistance? And you can see JJ in action. JJ, thank you so much. While you're at the website... I want you to consider visiting Mexico as well because Roberto's bungalows are in Mexico. I'm happy to go everywhere, Val. I, you know, it's a sacrifice, but I'm willing to do it for our cause. Okay, so <laughs> I think you should go to Roberto's bungalows, okay? And All right. And in San Pancho, and I'm not even going to get going on that because I haven't gotten over your talk yet. And I've got a few more people to fit in here. J.J., you're going to get us all going, so now you're going to have to become a travel agent and book tickets for us. Too. I think I'm going to become the nutritional travel advisor. There you go. That's mm-hmm. your new life. You're my new thing. <laughs> Can I just say that speaking of dancing and the goddess thing in Hawaii and the Middle East, for me there's such a huge connection between hula and belly dancing. The, the movements are almost the same. It's, it's uncanny. When I, when I studied hula, I, I, I could do it already because I, I knew how to do the Middle Eastern kind of dancing. So maybe there's some connection there. Well, you're a way better woman than me because I, I couldn't even touch it. But I think I need to go back. I have to get a before the time is up. And I need to get Will Rogers on right now. So I know the announcer has got Will Rogers all queued up, and he's going to talk to us about being green. And thank you very much, J.J. My pleasure. Well, I'm in Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. And it surprises me they can say that little, though, considering how much money they have going through that town. In comparison, Washington, D.C., tons of money goes through that city. No flashing lights, but they do have a lot of smoke and mirrors. Now, Reno's motto is 97% return on your gambling. Washington's motto is, if we start losing money, we're going to have to keep yours. Top story this week, Arnold's plan to reduce greenhouse gases. Now, the Republicans think that this idea the governor has is a bigger gamble than seeing a Democratic president anytime soon. But it seems like this little plan has a little to do with gambling and a lot to do with trading. Emissions trading. Now it's like e-trade for pollution. Buy, sell, or trade. No guessing numbers, pulling arms, or legs for that matter. Here's a plan. Let's make Texas Hold'em or Hold Us a thing of the past. How about California Hold'em? Hold them accountable if they pollute. And by the way, Governor, if you keep acting like this, we might have to make you a bona fide Democrat. Go to my website, willrogersusa.com. And there you go. This guy is wonderful. I love him. He's the voice of Will Rogers. And if you ever listen to the old Will Rogers, you got it right here, right back again. We've got the reincarnation right here on Waking Up in America. Check him out on our website. Visit wakingupinamerica.com. Any questions or comments, call us at toll-free radio 
866-RADIO-99. And by the way, just so you all know, we took Willie Nelson up on his offer to um, go to the Hollywood Bowl, and a whole bunch of us are coming in and we're landing at the bowl and people are flying in from different parts of the country, and that's part of the magic of radio. So with that, I'm about to let you know that Debbie Ringchop, <laughs> as I said, she's on her plane. So we have up next, we have JJ, we have Lisa Molson, and then after that we're going to have Cherie Ross. So it's a hot show today, and Lisa's going to tell you how to turn a family green. Well, great. Well, this is part of the green family challenge to you because Valerie tagged me green a little while ago, and so did my son who's been living here in Northern California at my house out here. And I just caught hell from one end to the other when I got home because we created so much garbage when we got here from bad habits. So I totally ha- I'm having to revamp my life. So <clears throat> I'm looking for it, to challenge um, our listeners as well as the team to at least five find five things that you can do in your home to turn your family green. Um, some of the things that, <clears throat> that there are, that I've totally been inspired by our, our tribute to Dennis Weaver as well, so I wanted to thank him and everybody at, over at, at Economics and all the awareness that they're bringing to us, um, as well as my son Terry, who has been after me to no end to, to be more, <clears throat> to pollute less. So we want to we uh, walk through this earth and leave uh, gentle footprints here while we're here. So, uh, some of the, so I'm going to give you some tips. Here's some things that you can think about to, uh, to uh, work on uh, with your family. Um, one of the things that is, um, my feelings is, is that planting gardens teaches children to be in touch with the earth. All right? So <clears throat> unless you're in touch with the earth and see how it works, you're not going to realize the kind of impact you have when you're, you know, we've been raised in a throwaway of society, drive in, drive out, throw it in a trash can and never see it again and not realize where it's going and the kind of impact that we're having on the environment. So I say garbage in, garbage out. Once you start eating healthy, your thoughts and, uh, uh, are going to be more healthy as well. So eating more green things and more natural uh food and things of that nature, I think, is a start. <clears throat> now, here's some stuff around you in your environment. First of all, create an environment for being <clears throat> being green. Um, I looked at my house and I thought, gosh, I just have a couple of, gar- you know, I, have, I had a garbage can, but I didn't have one to so- sort out my cans and bottles and paper items and just regular garbage. You know, what am I going to do with the rest of this stuff? So, um, go through you know, and have at least three garbage cans and then also have uh, a bins outside your house too so that you can use those as repositories. Find out if the local school has a drive for cans and things like that because you can donate those to the school. And schools also are now doing garden, our garden plantings as well, so encourage your schools to get involved in planting gardens. Uh, using towels instead of paper towels. Um, use glassware and um, plateware versus paper plates and cups. Um, plant errands around uh, errands, uh, reducing vehicle trips. Um, create compost pits, which is only uh, vegetables, eggshells, plant uh, snippings and things like that. No dairy, no meats in your compost sites, and that's what you use to help fertilize your plants. Uh, plant a garden with your family. Purchase vehicles that get better gas mileage. Buy cleaning products that are, that are biodegradable. Uh, reuse foil and plastic bags. Uh, refill your water bottles. Um, have your home insulated and turn off your lights. Use 40-watt light bulbs. 
So what you can do, what little thing you can do to make your family green will have a large impact. We might, it might be just one little thing that you do, but together we can do, um, we can make a huge difference in our environment. So that's the tip for the day from Lisa Molson and Family Matters, and thank you. Really cool, Lisa. I actually turned, um, I've actually put fluorescent lighting in my house, which reduces, <laughs> not only does it improve the environment, it reduces your electric bill, and I'm saving up right now for solar because I've got it, but I need to upgrade it. Oh, without that, there's, yeah, just go through your house, look at that, to what yeah. you can do to, you know, just better insulating and things of that nature. And actually, I'm, I'm interested in hearing from the listeners to hear what tips that you have that we can post on our website. So, Val, which, what's the best web, uh, place for us, for people to email us? You should go to the website, and we're actually going to put a Turn America Green page up. So we'll be welcome. And give tips. And if you have great tips on, on how to create well, know, on, green families. We're almost out of time, and we need to get you real. Yep. yep. But what we're going to be doing is blogging, and I think that answers your question, Lisa. There you go. Okay, so great. we're going to be creating Love a blog on the website, and I'm going to guess that's going to be within the next two weeks. Fab. A lot of what we're talking about, you'll, you're going to be able to blog us during the radio show, too. So I just want to, I'm giving up my segment today. It was too interesting listening to uh, Hadani and what everybody else is saying. But basically, last night, seeing Gory Vidal and uh, John Dean talking about how what's going on now is just kind of like the pimple that erupted after years of illness. We were talking last night about 1913 and how in 1913, there's the creature from Jekyll Island. And you should read about this creature because this is when our country got turned over the bankers and the businessmen. It was back on Jekyll Island. And um, it, this isn't a new thing. This is just the end point of what's been going on for many, 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 many years. So take a look at the creature from Jekyll Island, and we'll talk more about that on the show, but there is we absolutely necessarily have to get our essential oils expert, our Cherie Roth, on because it's time. So there you go, Cherie. And... Hi, Dr. Valerie. Well, I would like to uh, give a little support of what um, Lisa and Hudani were talking about uh, today. And in regards to cleaning products, be very careful when you go to the health food store because I had an eye-opening group of women I was speaking with yesterday that thought just because they bought their cleaning products, toothpaste and so forth at a health food store, that it was all safe and had no toxic ingredients. But when I asked them to read, turn over and read the labels of what they had purchased from the health food store that on the front said natural, on the back they were loaded with toxic chemicals and chemicals that have been proven carcinogenic in their action, which are cancer-causing. And so just because you buy something at a health food store doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be safe for you. So if you'd like to know of some really excellent health, um, cleaning products that are made with essential oils that you can actually drink, they won't taste good, but you can drink them. They'll build their, your immune system, and they will keep your home 99.96% clear of bacteria, virus, fungus, and mold. So give us a call on that one. Now, the next thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is bees. I have a quick remedy for bees and wasps. Clove oil and peppermint oil. Now, this needs to be the kind that you can take internally, the, the, the kind where the chemotypes are balanced, not kind you can, again, go buy at a health food store. It's not going to work for you. So you take clove oil and peppermint oil, and you loosely, not 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 so it's dripping, but you put a num- about 10 drops of each in some cotton balls, 
and you put them in your home or in the areas where the bees and wasps are. And in literally minutes, the bees will leave because they cannot stand and the wasps cannot stand these uh, essential oil fragrances and they will be gone. And it's not toxic and again, it's very, very safe. Now, I would like to take my remaining couple minutes and support um, something from the, the an essential oil from Hudani's native land, and that is an oil blend called Egyptian Gold. And it is a blend of hyssop and frankincense and spikenard and myrrh, cinnamon bark, lavender, rose, and then we add in cedar wood and balsam. Now, this blend is, it's called an enchanting aromatic effect that stimulates the central nervous system and the immune system and the respiratory system. You can wear it uh, topically for a very exotic perfume fragrance, but it's really designed for internal or uh, diffusing. Uh, and you can take it internally. And what does it do? Well, number one, it's one of the most powerful to strengthen immune function against anything that is a harmful bacterial, viral, or fungal microbe. Um, it's powerful for that. The other thing that it does is it's wonderful to digest these toxic chemicals from our environment that get into our body that create cancer. And so the, um, with the oils that are in there, it's excellent for anybody who has any condition of the skin. And it's very good for people who have chronic illnesses. Anybody who's got a chronic condition that they just can't seem to shake. It's also extremely powerful if you are in a place where you really can't lose weight and you can put it in a capsule and take it internally because what it does is it will start to rebalance your body's digestive ability and it also will start to work on the metabolic ability of your body. And it will give you a lot more energy. You'll have a lot more energy. And what you'll find is you're not craving those foods that are not good for you. And that oil is called Egyptian gold. And it's a powerful, powerful, wonderful oil with gifts from the land of the Middle East. So it literally comes from the earth in the Middle East, that Hudani, uh, where she was speaking of today, that land. So what I would like to know is, listeners, is there anything that you would like uh, uh, me to talk about, uh, any topic? If you could please email in to Dr. Valerie or call us at toll-free 866-RADIO-99 or heaveninincorporatedallspelledout.com and uh, let us know what it is you would like me to speak on and I'll, I'll address the topic uh, of, your, of your choice. Here you go. Just hop right over onto the website and you can actually... Email Cherie from there, and I also just got an email from <laughs> Cherie Weaver. It's interesting how things happen. Jerry's not aware that we're on the air right now, but we're talking Peter LeBeau and Rob Wood and Jerry Weaver all working to carry on Dennis Weaver's work, and I just want to make sure that while we do other subjects, we mention that what we're here about at Waking Up in America, besides turning America green, is we're here to actually create a new environment and new possibilities and that's part of what's happening with the Willie Nelson thing so Rob and um, Peter are working their little buns off to make America go green and we'd love to have you join us we really want to thank you for listening to Waking Up in America today this program has been brought to you by Editors On Air Dr. James Murphy in Memoriam Executive Producer Nathan Jett and thanks to Donnie Dittmar for just such an incredible life you've led and to Gail for the interview, and our Chief Technical Officer, Pete Laubach, and to the team at Voice America, and to Ben Meigen for those hints of wisps of music that you hear, which are almost ordinary people. Here's to a green America. Next week, invite a friend to listen, and go green right now.
Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com, and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com. This is for you. 